Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen, and it is Tuesday, January 3rd. First things first, Happy New Year, fools. Uh, I hope everyone tuning in was able to enjoy their holidays, eat well, spend time with friends and family. I think I can speak for the entire Industry Focus crew when I say that we are ready to be back in the studio and very, very excited for 2017. So joining me today via Skype to kick off the first show of the year is Fool.com contributor, Mr. Daniel Klein. Uh, Happy New Year, Dan. How are you doing? Oh, Happy New Year, Vince. How are you? I'm pretty good. Did you get everything that you wanted on your wish list? (laughs) Well, let's see. I got a plumbing disaster and my car is in the shop, so perhaps (laughs) not the Christmas I was hoping for. But pretty much uh, five in the morning tomorrow, I head off to CES, so maybe I'll get a little bit of a belated present. Absolutely. Um, You know, I spent uh, the past week, week and a half, Kind of zipping around between my hometown back in Jersey. Uh, I was in New York City for a few days in Annapolis and then here in DC. So I had a great time all around. But one of the highlights, I have to say, even though it might be a little bit silly, was uh, very recently I finally had the chance to go see Rogue One. Oh, I saw it too. I thought you were going to say the Rockettes. So, <laughs> so I'm totally. Now, I loved it. I mean, it was basically a Magnificent Seven remake. What did you think of it? I really was impressed. I think it was something I was going to see opening weekend. Plans fell through. Um, I ended up seeing it at a theater I'd never been to before with a huge screen. It's a one-screen theater, but really well done. Um, and it, the ending, everything, just really, I think they did a great job. I don't want to give anything away for people <laughs> who haven't seen it yet, because I know yeah. that it's, it's still making, uh, still building up quite a bit of momentum or maintaining that momentum at the box office. I think it's three weeks now or three weekends where it has topped the chart. But overall, you know, after seeing the movie um, and talking to you, it got me thinking about the past year in terms of Hollywood and the movie industry. So today, um, I think we should take a look back at the 2016 box office, not just by film, but how the studios and theater operators have performed uh, during the year and what we can kind of expect to see in 2017 in terms of some trends, uh, people to watch or studios to watch. Um, But can you get us started here, Dan? How would you characterize the overall box office performance for 2016. It, it was a year based on blockbusters and franchises. If you look at the top 20 films, and uh, Disney has four of the five, and Rogue One is number two, though it will eventually make more money than Finding Dory, which is number one, domestic box office. Sure. 19 of the top 20 films are either franchises, spin-offs, sequels, or animated movies. The yep. only one that isn't is Central Intelligence at number 20. And I'd argue, because it has The Rock and Kevin Hart, it sort of feels like a spin-off, even <laughs> though it is a standalone movie. So this was a year where you saw the Disney strategy come to light. Disney set a record, uh, c- crushed a record at the box office. And basically, aside from Alice Through the Looking Glass, which was a sequel which kind of bombed, everything they did was pretty much a guaranteed hit. When you have the point where Disney can put out Doctor Strange, a character that as a comic book fan growing up as a kid who read Marvel, I barely remembered, and make that a blockbuster, they've got it working, and that bodes very well for the next year for them. Yep. So, big picture, I should note uh, that the domestic box office, as you mentioned, it it was a record setter in 2016, about $11.4 billion in total gross receipts. That's with 725 films. All these numbers, by the way, I'm pulling from Box Office Mojo. So the highest, um, this that's the highest number of films and gross receipts for the domestic market 
but keep in mind, uh, you know, this ongoing problem that we've had for about the past 15 years or so is that the number of tickets sold is still down about 16% from the peak reached in 2002. Um, and, you know, the total market for movie viewers, if you just look at population growth over those that approximately 15 years or so, has gone up quite a bit. So it's not just that 16% dip. And um, I think overall, average ticket prices have managed to make up for a lot of that falling volume. Um, it helps to have releases coming out on IMAX, 3D releases as well. And that's definitely boosting up uh, your average ticket price for a lot of the theater operators and helping uh, in terms of those box office uh, ticket sales. But, uh, you know, if we're going to dive into uh, some of the big takeaways, I guess, from 2016. You mentioned the animated franchise sequel strategy and how that's really coming to light for Disney. It's it's, it's all about event pictures. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll give you an idea. Yesterday, I went to see Assassin's Creed. Now, this was a lousy movie by video game movie standards. I mean, it made me nostalgic for Bob Hoskins as Super Mario. This was a bad movie. <laughs> oh, that's that's really but, bad. <laughs> but you could see it was a movie meant for a global audience. There's not a lot of dialogue. The dialogue it has is stupid. I couldn't tell you the lead character's name, and I saw the movie. Um, But it's this movie made for, so you can see it in China, so you can see it wherever, and it sort of appeals to everybody. Now, this was a big misfire, but something like Rogue One or Finding Dory or, you know, coming up next year, Furious 8, these are action movies or animated kids' movies that pull in a big audience. And where we're seeing the in attendance is while I went to see Assassin's Creed with my son, my wife and mother went to see Manchester by the Sea, a movie that is super duper depressing. And a film like that doesn't have much of a place in the box office anymore. If you look at the, even like the top 30 films this year, there's no, you know, there's no uh, Juno. There's no movie jumping out that was an, an indie film that made $150 million. And that's because you can watch that movie on Netflix. You can watch that movie at home. Your home theater has gotten good enough. And I think we're seeing a seismic shift in the theater business. Theaters are going to give you everything they can. The theater I was at last night had reclining seats. There was a little bench in front of my seat to eat snacks on. It was assigned seating. It was $16 a ticket. But it was a very inviting experience to see a would-be blockbuster. But it would not make as much sense to see an adult-themed indie film. And we're seeing a lot of adult movies find doing better. You know, the Christopher Guest movie does better on Netflix than it would do in the theater. And I think that's where we're headed. Okay, so uh, I want to get to some of the things that you mentioned specifically, like uh, that $16 ticket price, the reclining seats that you mentioned, uh, as some of the trends, I think, we will see more and more of, especially uh, in 2017. But let's go back to Disney for a little bit. Uh, Absolutely. You know, right now, for tw- uh, for this past year, the undisputed king of the box office, over $3 billion in ticket sales across about 16 titles. And it blew me away when I was looking at this, this uh, top 100 listing, how many of the biggest movies came from Disney, a good half of their releases managed to break the $200 million benchmark, and their top five titles put up anywhere from 350 to almost $500 million each, which is incredible. Disney and, has an amazing formula. Mm-hmm. So everyone questioned when they bought, you know, they bought Pixar, when they bought Marvel, when they bought Star Wars, I believe it's uh, $7 billion, $4 billion, $4 billion for those. 
But what they have is guaranteed success. The Pixar animated name, whether it's a sequel like Finding Dory or a new film, parents are going to see that. It's just a brand that to a certain age group is going to appeal. And if it breaks out to adults, you'll go from a $500 million film to a, you know, a billion dollar film like Finding Dory globally. And then you've got at least two Marvel movies every year. Those are going to be hits. You know, the Avengers will be top tier, two billion globally, a billion and a half, two billion. Maybe your Doctor Strange will only be seven eight hundred not you know seven eight hundred million then you have one star wars film a year and rogue one we're not there yet it's probably going to do about 1.25 billion globally down from force awakens at a little over two billion but still very profitable about three four hundred million profitable and it's just a formula and then you have things coming up in 2017 like live action beauty and the beast and more sequels eventually you've got a frozen sequel and you see disney has taken a lot of the risk out of making movies whereas you know if you put out a movie and it's a big blockbuster say an you know avatar before it came out you put that out and nobody knows the property it's a huge risk it could just easily you know be a uh, what's his name? John Carter of Mars, which was a huge bomb based mm-hmm. on a, a literary property, could just as easily be that as it could be a hit. Whereas Disney has absolutely eliminated that risk and they own enough franchises that they can do it year after year after year. Mm-hmm. All right. So Disney, if we see them as the uh, big winner this year in terms of at least the studios, um, uh, one company uh, that I want or one suit I wanted to look at really quick as kind of being on the opposite side of that and dropping quite a bit actually was Universal and how they struggled to maintain momentum because they were the major leading studio in 2015. They set their own record for the annual box office, um, but then they fell three spots this year to number four. Yeah, Universal has a cyclical problem. They don't have enough franchises to guarantee being at the top of the box office mm-hmm. every year. They'll come back next year because they'll have Furious 8. I'm not sure when the next Jurassic Park sequel comes out. They'll have a Fifty Shades of Grey sequel. The problem is, and it's part of why they bought DreamWorks, is they can't put out a Minions movie every year. They can't put out a Fast and the Furious every year. They don't have the big universes that Disney has. They do have the hit properties, but they need probably three or four more of them to have consistency. So, you know, Comcast had warned that this was going to be a down year, year over year. It had to be. They just didn't have the pipeline. Sure. Next year will be a big comeback. You know, I think the real loser is Fox, which has really stumbled with its superhero movies. Aside from Deadpool, which was a surprise out of nowhere hit that covered a lot of mistakes. But X-Men Apocalypse didn't do very well. You know, you've got a very questionable Spider-Man reboot coming up at a time when sort of any superhero does well. You know, Logan is a very dicey prospect coming up. It's a very dark R-rated superhero movie. You know, Fox had a down year, and I don't necessarily see them having a comeback, but Universal's going to crush it next year. Yeah, they definitely have a much stronger slate for 2017. And, you know, to keep in mind, too, is that they had a slightly smaller number of releases. But um, they also had that just one film... Which really surprised me after looking at the lineup that Disney put out. Uh, they only had one film, which was Secret Life of Pets, which managed to cross the $200 million mark during the year. Uh, if you look at the 2015 average take uh, across all the releases, it was well over $100 million, almost $110 million, I think. This year, it was only, or for 2016, it was only $70 million. So obviously, uh, uh, the, I mean, the, the, the cycle that. that you mentioned, um, you know, that is a very, very substantial margin. 
Jurassic World and Fast and Furious were a big part of that last year. So, you know, you, they just didn't have the releases. But to go over the overall box office, you remember when $100 million domestically made a hit? Mm-hmm. Well, the number 19 domestic film this year was Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters is, is a flop. It, 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 you know, it did not make money. And that's a film that took in $128 million at the global, at the domestic box office. Now, it didn't play that well globally, and it didn't play at all in China, so that hurt it. But you can see that for these blockbusters, the standards have gotten very high, and it almost doesn't make sense to release something unless you think it has franchise potential. Now, two years from now, Universal has Secret Life of Pets 2. Um, I assume. I haven't seen Secret Life of Pets. Maybe they all die, but probably not. <laughs> so they have that sequel, and they could pump out a franchise, and maybe then they could spin off you know, one of the dogs or the cat or the bird or whatever animals are going on there. Okay, so... Um... I did want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking also about the theater operators themselves, and I think AMC has definitely been the busiest of the bunch for 2016. Uh, They acquired both Carmike Cinemas and Odeon and UCI, which is a huge, the biggest uh, European theater operator, all in 2016, just with, you know, I think three, four months, within three, four months of each other, announced those deals. Um, After closing them, AMC will be the largest theater operator in the world. They'll have 900 theaters, 10,000 screens. Um, you know, the Carmack deal costs about $1.1 billion. This is, uh, you know, mostly a domestic operation. It's going to complement AMC's existing market penetration in the U.S., whereas Odeon, you know, the largest operator in Europe, uh, a, a similar purchase price, about $1.2 billion. But that gives you AMC a strong position in markets like the U.K., Spain, Italy, Austria, and Portugal. Um, and you know, with the first three quarters of results available that I have here for 2016, the company reported record revenue for both their admissions and their food and beverage. So, getting a little bit to what you had talked about previously in terms of changing, making that uh, theater experience, as you described, as welcoming as possible. You know, people are willing, to, are paying more for each ticket. Uh, obviously, uh, an effect of some of the other formats like IMAX and 3D. But they're also buying more at the concession stand. I think it's the average. Uh, the average ticket is now like 480 in terms of food and beverage snacks, and you know with the amenities, with uh, in terms of theater renovations, reclining seating, uh, seat reservations, uh, what do you do? You feel like that is just going to be the way they, they can they constantly ha- keep the price money. up. Yeah, yeah, they they have to up the movie experience. That's going to mean things like uh, beer and wine service in theaters. You're going to see more AMC theaters that actually have you know food that's beyond nachos and, and chicken fingers. You know, it, it's you're going to see higher end candy. You're seeing you know Starbucks like coffee bars or Starbucks, but in a lot of cases, sort of faux Starbucks coffee bars. And if I'm going to spend the money, $16 to see Assassin's Creed, which I cannot tell you how terrible that was, <laughs> it better have a good snack and a comfortable chair. So, you know, this theater had reclining chairs. It had uh, reserved seating. And reserved seating is nice because you don't have to get there a half hour early and sit through all the terrible commercials they're playing for you. So I see this as a time for theaters as 
they're going to have to lose some screens. They're going to have to build some mega screens to deliver that experience. You know, they're going to have to build some tiny screens to show art house stuff. And you're also starting to see some of the theaters branch way beyond movies. In Boston, you can watch a lot of home Red Sox games on in movie theaters. You're seeing operas and concerts and one-off events, uh, UFC, other things in theaters. And it's really you have this real estate. And there's only a certain level of movie, maybe maybe 10, 15 movies a year that might get people out of the house. So you need to make that experience great, which then maybe on a Saturday at a matinee price, I'm going to go see, I don't know, you know, the Harry Potter movie or something I don't really want to see. But I know I'm going to get some great snacks and a beer or, you know, whatever it might be. Yep. Okay. Takeaways then uh, for the, you know, for uh, our investors who are listening uh, for the handful of companies we've discussed a few things I wanted to point out you know for Disney uh, as the king of the box office as we described it you know keep in mind the studio entertainment segment makes up about 17 percent of their revenue and op- operating income but on that note um, for its most recent fiscal year which ended uh, back in October on the first you know Disney student entertainment revenue was up 20 percent operating income up 37 percent its highest growth shown by far of the four major segments of the company. And the thing for me, the main thing that I'm looking at for Disney is, you know, each box office win translates for them to new characters, new heroes, and new toys, new TV shows, new rides for the for the parks. And I think the fact that the company is able to deliver one blockbuster after another is really important signal to any shareholder that management definitely has its fingers on the pulse in terms of what its target customers, uh, movie viewers want. And I would also add for its top three films of 2016, uh, which happened to also top the overall box office, all three titles were the product of acquisitions. You have Finding Dory from Pixar, Rogue One from Lucasfilm, and Captain America Civil War, of course, from Marvel. And I think it's no coincidence that CEO Bob Arger, he held the reins for all three of those deals when he acquired uh, those properties. And you know, his leadership abilities have come up again and again on the show. So what happens then, you know, something else to watch if you're an investor when he officially retires in 2018, I think the new leadership will have a pretty well-oiled machine for most parts of the business, but there's still, you know, the, uh, the issue with ESPN for example and its power uh, that or the influence that it holds in the changing landscape of cable and television. We've also uh Dan and you know, we've discussed that too on the show. <laughs> it, it here's the thing. Disney is a cash machine, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't I don't buy that Iger's gonna retire in two thousand eighteen. I, I I don't see why you would change captains on that ship. And Disney and Comcast to a lesser extent can take a property like Star Wars and get everything out of it. So not only are there Star Wars licensing, I believe I read a Vanity Fair article this morning that said uh, that Force Awakens made half a billion dollars, 500 million in licensing fees for Disney in the first year. So not only is there that army that gets you toys and Star Wars sheets and lunchboxes and all that stuff, they threw together some Star Wars events at the theme parks that draw people while they're building Star Wars land, which is probably going to be the next major theme park driver in both uh, Florida and California. And they're advertising a one-day Disney Star Wars cruise in Florida, where I live. So <laughs> basically, if there's anything Star Wars, I mean, I'm literally wearing Star Wars boxer shorts while I do this show. So if there's <laughs> anything Star Wars, Disney can exploit it. And Comcast can do the same thing with its theme parks and its licensing, maybe not as well. And absolutely 
absolutely ESPN is something to, you know, ESPN is going to keep taking haircuts, but as rights deals come up, they can push that back to the sports. They don't have to pay a billion dollars for NFL rights. They could go to the NFL and say, hey, it's a changing market. And if they lose some rights, that's probably not going to change very much. So you're going to see some economy change in the next few years. But for the film economy, it's, it's, it's a machine that they're going to have five or six guaranteed hits every year. And if they can find another Frozen, another animated property that you know can spin off and become a bunch of movies, it's, gonna, you know, it's only going to get better for Disney because I don't see Star Wars or Marvel or Pixar petering out anytime soon. Okay, fair enough. Uh, for Universal, then, um, as part of Comcast, you know, keep in mind the, you know, this filmed entertainment uh, segment is just eight percent of the top line, and even at the you know NBC Universal that division, which is uh, in my view much more comparable to Disney if you look at them one to one, the cable networks and television businesses, uh, they're still the lion's share of revenue, similar to Disney, and even with filmed entertainment. Uh, for Universal, it's down 20% year over year for these first three quarters of 2016. It's really not, in my view, a huge blow if you're a Comcast shareholder. Um, you know, I think we talked about it earlier 2017, the slate kind of the cycle returns to its favor with some really big established franchises coming out. And, and- and they bought DreamWorks, so they got a few properties mm-hmm. that can sort of bolster their slate. They had this hit with Secret Life of Pets. So I would look, maybe they're an acquirer. There's not a ton out there in terms of franchises that are available. But Comcast only needs maybe two or three more properties. You know, maybe Kung Fu Panda has tired out. Maybe, you know, they can get another Shrek movie out. But Jurassic World has a ways to go, and Fast and the Furious. It seems like they could be doing twelve Fast, twelve Furious, and people will still see it. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, Comcast isn't Disney, but they're getting close. And you know, it wouldn't shock me if they were to, you know, you know, maybe buy some rights from from Sony or or do something. But this is becoming a business where it's all about guaranteed hits, where you're just not going to see a lot of. Uh, Passengers or Lone Rangers or or movies that you know are sold based on stars or based on premise. You're going to see franchises and things that can be franchises. Um, you know, it's why they're already planning three more, at least two more Fantastic Beast spinoffs. You know the audience. You can build it. You can see the market. You can sell the books. All the other stuff. And Comcast isn't there, but they're going to get there. All right. So last point uh, before we wrap up this episode. In my view for 2017 and beyond, frankly, is that the biggest winner in all of this, beyond Disney, is actually probably going to be China. Um, Chinese government <laughs> has been quite public, I think, in its desire uh, over the past several years to export more culture and influence you know, as an established super superpower. And film and television, obviously, huge part of these efforts. And you know, just keep in mind, you know, the Wanda Group—it's this massive Chinese conglomerate. They own AMC. They own other theater chains. They're the biggest operator in the world. They own a whole host of media companies. Think Legendary Entertainment. Um, and then you combine all that with the importance that obviously the Chinese market has to most major Hollywood releases at this point. Um, it should be the biggest box office market starting this year in 2017. And we're going to only see more and more movies, TV shows cater to this market, and you know I think the deal might be under negotiation. I got to double check that, but you know the and the authorities only allow I think it's 34 movies, uh, foreign films releases per year in China. Uh, studios fight really hard for those slots. Ghostbusters, for example, did not get that, and we saw their international take, for example, really struggle. What do you think in terms of the the, the place that China plays in terms of their audience it's, and everything? 
it's unbelievably huge because there's a way to get around those 34 slots, and that's to have a co-production company in China. Yeah. So uh, the upcoming Matt Damon movie about the Great Wall of China, I think it's called Great Wall. That movie is, you know, it takes place in China. It's made in conjunction with Chinese companies. So it gives it access to that market. Mm -hmm. And we did see some movies this year like World of Warcraft, which bombed in the U.S., but made their budget back or at least did very well in China. Mm -hmm. But this is a case where China has a lot of the cards. You know, when Hollywood is going and saying, well, I want you to release Rogue One, they can say there's only so many slots and here's what we want you to do. We want, uh, you know, more character representation. We want a product kickback, whatever it is. So Hollywood with these big budget movies is very much beholden to the Chinese market. Now, that changes a little bit. When China has seen Rogue One and they're looking forward to Rogue Two, we both know Rogue Two is not not likely to happen. But when they're looking forward to the next Star Wars movie, then maybe the audiences start demanding what they want. But for the next few years, China is sitting in a position where it can demand concessions from Hollywood, and it's been able to get them. You know, some of these movies, I, I don't think you see uh, a movie like Moana, the, the the Disney movie, and I apologize if I'm you know pronouncing that correctly incorrectly. That had that had a much more diverse cast than the traditional very white Disney princess movie if you don't have a global influence led by by China. And I know it wasn't a Chinese character, but it wasn't the typical, you know, Ariel Disney princess. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, it's, you know, everything is different. Uh, you're not going to see your your very smart, uh, talky Ben Affleck movie play in China. <laughs> and that's influencing what gets made. Yep. All right. Well, uh, any other final thoughts in terms of or predictions that you have for 2017? Uh, like I said, for mine, I th it's just the growing influence there in that market. Uh, also, I'm very curious to see what happens in terms of for Disney in terms of you know its succession plan. You, I know you're doubtful about 2018. Uh, Iger <laughs> I, I, has been pretty uh, set about that timeline because he's already postponed it like three, four times at this point. And uh, but overall, you know, it's always a cycle. The studio, how the studios rank, they always fluctuate depending on the release schedules. Um, so. Uh, just well, very I, curious to see what the slate's going to be like. I, I what think about there's you? only one thing you can be really sure of in the coming year, and that's what the biggest movie of 2017 is going to be. Yes, that's fair. It, it is that going is to be Star Wars Episode Eight, and perhaps we'll have to do a show from waiting in line to go see Star Wars Episode yep. Eight because we'll probably have to do that two or three days in advance to get into a big screening, but. There are a handful of movies coming out in this year, and this trend we've talked about all episode is only going to get stronger. You know, we're, we're going to see a Despicable Me spinoff, uh, excuse me, sequel. We're, we're going to see the next Fast and the Furious. All of these big movies are going to be big. And if you look at the slates and or you watch even the previews that I saw at the movies yesterday, other than sort of low budget horror films – you're not going to see a ton of original swings for the fences. It's going to be more of the same as long as the audience keeps buying. And if they keep making Star Wars films and Marvel superhero movies, I think people are going to keep buying. So just like 2016, more franchises, more sequels, more animated movies. That's what better it sounds like Better to popcorn me. and craft beer. Yep. So. All right. Well, thank you a lot. Uh, thank you, Dan, for joining me. Um, Remember, listeners, that you can always reach out to the entire Industry Focus crew via Twitter at, at MF Industry Focus. You can send us any questions via email to industryfocus at fool.com. Go to fool.com slash podcast to check out our other awesome shows and please rate us on iTunes. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations. 
four against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening and for watching.